Chapter Twelve of the Black Moth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Mendoza. The Black Moth, by Georgette Hare. Chapter Twelve. My Lord dictates a letter and receives a visitor. My Lord came sighing back to life. He opened his eyes wearily and turned his head. A faint feeling of surprise stole over him. He was in a room he had never been in before, and by the window, busy with some needlework, sat a little old lady who was somehow vaguely familiar. "'Who are you?' he asked, and was annoyed to find his voice so weak. The little lady jumped and came across to him. "'Praise be to God!' she ejaculated. "'Likewise, bless the boy. The fever is past.' She laid a thin hand on his brow, and smiled down into his wondering eyes. "'As cool as a cucumber, dear boy. What a mercy!' It was a long time since any one had called Jack dear, or boy. He returned the smile feebly and closed his eyes. "'I do not understand anything,' he murmured drowsily. "'Never trouble your head, then.' just go to sleep. He considered this gravely for a moment. It seemed sensible enough, and he was so very, very tired. He shut his eyes with a little sigh. When he awoke again, it was morning of the next day, and the sun streamed in the window, making him blink. Someone rustled forward, and he saw it was the lady who had called him dear and bidden him go to sleep. He smiled, and a very thin hand came out of the bedclothes. "'But who are you?' he demanded a little querulously. Miss Betty patted his hand gently. "'Still worrying your poor head over that. I am Di's Aunt Betty, though, to be sure, you don't know who Di is.' Remembrance was coming back to my lord. "'Why, why, you are the lady in the coach. Tracy, I remember.' "'Well, I know not of Tracy.' "'But I'm the lady in the coach. "'And the other? "'That was Diana Beaulieu, my niece, the pet. "'You will see her when you are better. "'But but where am I, madame?' "'Now don't get excited, dear boy.' "'I'm thirty, protested Jack with a wicked twinkle. "'I should not have thought it, "'but thirty's a boy to me in any case.' retorted Miss Betty, making him laugh. "'You are in Mr. Beaulieu's house, Di's father, and my brother, and here you will stay until you are quite recovered.' Jack raised himself on his elbow, grimacing at the pain the movement caused him. "'Egad, madame, have I been here long?' he demanded. Very firmly was he pushed back onto his pillows. "'Will you be still?' A nice thing t'would be if you were to aggravate that wound of yours. You will have been here a week to-morrow. Bless my heart, what ails the boy? For Jack's face took on an expression of incredulous horror. A week, madame? Never say so. Tis as true as I stand here. And a nice fright you have given us. What with nearly dying and raving about your dicks and jims. My lord glanced up sharply. "'Oh! So I talked? Talk? 
"'Well, yes, if you can call all that mixture of foreign jargon talking. "'Now you must be still and wait till the doctor comes again.' "'For a while Carstairs lay in silence. "'He thought of Jim and smiled a little. "'I could not have thought of a better punishment had I tried,' he told himself, and then frowned. "'Poor fellow! He'll be off his head with fright over me. "'Miss, er, uh, Betty?' "'Well, and aren't you not asleep yet?' "'Asleep, madame? Certainly not,' he said with dignity. "'I must write a letter.' "'Deed, and you shall not.' "'But I must. Tis monstrous important, madame.' She shook her head resolutely. "'Not until Mr. Jameson gives permission,' she said firmly. Jack struggled up, biting his lip. "'Then I shall get up,' he threatened. In an instant she was by his side. "'No, no! Lie down now and be good!' "'I will not lie down and be good.' "'Then I shan't let you touch a pin for weeks.' Jack became very masterful and frowned direfully upon her. "'Madame, I insist on being allowed to write that letter.' "'Sir, I insist on your lying down.' He controlled a twitching lip. "'Woe betide you unless you bring me pen and paper, Miss Betty.' "'But, dear boy, reflect you could not use your arm.' "'I will use it,' replied Jack indomitably. But he sank back on to the pillows with his eyes closed and a tiny furrow of pain between his straight brows. "'I told you so,' scolded Miss Betty, not without a note of triumph in her voice, and proceeded to rearrange the disorderly coverlet. The blue eyes opened wide, pleadingly. "'Madame, indeed, tis very important.' She could not withstand that look. "'Well,' she compromised, "'I'll not let you write yourself, that's certain. But could you not dictate to me?' Jack brightened and caught her hand to his lips. "'Miss Betty, you are an angel,' he told her. "'Ah, now, get along with you.' She hurried away to fetch paper and ink. When she turned, she found him plucking impatiently at the sheet and frowning. "'I am ready,' she said. "'Thank you, madame. Tis very kind in you.' "'Nonsense,' he laughed weakly. "'I want you to write to my servant, to bid him bring my baggage to the nearest inn.' "'That will I not. I shall tell him to bring it here.' "'But, Miss Betty, I cannot possibly trespass upon—' "'Will you have done? Trespass, indeed.' "'I perceive I shall be much put upon,' sighed Jack, and watched her lightning smile. "'You, boy, will you dictate?' "'Very well, ma'am. No, I have changed my mind. I'll have it writ to a friend, please. Dear Miles, true to my promise, I write to you. In case you should be worried over my disappearance, be it known that I am at—pray, madame, where am I? Horton Manor, Little Dean, she replied, writing it down. Thank you. I had the misfortune to injure my shoulder in a—an arm, put in the scribe inexorably. And arm— in a fight, and a certain very kind lady. I refuse to write that rubbish. 
one of the ladies whom I rescued—' "'Good heavens, madame! You've not put that!' cried Jack, horrified. She smiled reassuringly. "'I have not. I put, my nurse is writing this for me. Madame, you are of a teasing disposition,' reproved Jack. Mm, "'Yes. When you take Jenny over to Trencham, will you please tell Jim to bring my baggage? Here at once. Have you that, Miss Betty?' "'Yes. Remember me to Lady Molly, I beg. And accept my apologies. And thanks.' He paused. "'Will you sign it, J.C.?' please, and address it to Sir Miles O'Hara, Thurs House, Maltby. Sir Miles O'Hara is your friend, Mr. Mr. I do not know your name. Carr, began Jack, and stopped, biting his lips. Carr, he continued imperturbably. John Carr. Do you know O'Hara, Miss Betty? Me? No. "'Will he come to see you, do you think?' "'If you let him in, madame.' "'Gracious! Well, well, I'll tell Thomas to ride over with this at once.' "'Miss Betty, you are marvellously good. I vow I can never think. Bless the boy, and what about yourself, pray? I shudder to think of what might have happened to die if you had not come up. Tis we can never thank you enough.' Jack reddened boyishly and uncomfortably. "'Indeed, you exaggerate. Tut, tut. "'Well, go to sleep, and never worry about anything till I return. "'And you won't try and get up.' "'He shook with laughter. "'I swear I will not. "'Even in you and never return. "'I will lie here wasting away.' "'But he spoke to space, for with a delighted laugh she had left the room. It was not until late that afternoon that O'Hara arrived, and he was conducted, after a brief conversation with Diana and her father, to my lord's room, where Miss Betty received him with her cheery smile and jerky curtsy. "'You'll not excite, Mr. Carr,' she said, but was interrupted by my lord's voice from within, weak but very gay. "'Come in, Miles, and never listen to Miss Betty. She is a tyrant and denies me my wig.' O'Hara laughed and answered, took Miss Betty's quizzical smile, and strode over to the bed. He gripped my lord's thin hand and frowned down at him with an assumption of anger. "'Young good-for-naught! Could ye find naught better to do than smash yourself up and well-nigh drive your man crazy with fright?' "'Oh, pshaw! Did you find Jim?' O'Hara looked round and saw that Miss Betty had discreetly vanished. He sat gingerly down on the edge of the bed. "'Aye! I took the mare over as soon as I had your letter.' "'and a fine scare you gave me, Jack. "'I can tell you. "'She recognized him, and I accosted him.' "'I'll swear you did not get much satisfaction from Jim,' said my lord. "'Did he look very foolish?' "'To tell you the truth, I—I I thought the man was half-daft, "'and wondered whether I'd been after making a mistake. "'But in the end I got him to believe what I was trying to tell him. "'And he has taken the mare, and will bring your baggage along this evening. "'By the way, Jack, I told him of our little meeting, and of your pistols being unloaded. He said twas his fault, and you never saw aught to touch his face. Put out was not the word for it. I suppose so. Look here, Miles. 
This is a damned funny affair. What happened to you, exactly? Tis what I am about to tell you. After I had left you, I rode on quite quietly for about an hour, and then came upon Miss Bullet's coach, stopped by three blackguards who were trying to drag her to another coach belonging to the gentleman who conducted the affair. So, of course, I dismounted and went to see what was to be done. You would be after poking your nose into what didn't concern ye. Four men and ye had the audacity to tackle them all. Tis mad ye are entirely. Of course, if you had been in my place, you would have ridden off in another direction, or aided the scoundrels, was the scathing reply. O'Hara chuckled. Well, go on, Jack. I'm not saying I don't wish I had been with ye. "'Twould have been superb. I suppose Miss Bullet has told you most of the tale, but there is one thing that she could not have told you, for she did not know it. The man I fought with was Belmanoir. "'Thunder and turf! Not the Duke!' "'Yes, Tracy.' "'Zounds! Did he know ye?' "'I cannot be certain. I was masked, of course, but he said he thought he did. "'Twas at that moment he fired his pistol at me.' "'The dirty scoundrel!' Mm, yes. "'Tis that which makes me think he did not know me. "'Damn it all, Miles, even Tracy would not do a thing like that.' "'Were he not? "'If you ask me, I say that Tracy is game enough for any kind of devilry. "'But, my dear fellow, that is too black. "'He cannot try to kill in cold blood a man he had hunted with and fenced with, "'and, and no man could.' O'Hara looked extremely sceptical. "'Because ye could not yourself is not to say that a miserable spalpeen like Belmanoir could not.' "'I don't believe it of him. We were always quite friendly. If it had been Robert, now. But I am not going to believe it. And don't say anything to these people, O'Hara, because they do not know devil. I gather from what Miss Betty says that he calls himself Everard. He meant the girl, Diana, at Bath. You know his way.' She'd none of him, hence the abduction. Heavens! But tis a foul mind the man's got. Where women are concerned, yes. Otherwise tis not such a bad fellow, Miles. I've no use for that kind of dirt meself, Jack. Oh, I don't know. I dare say we are none of us exactly saints. He changed the subject abruptly. How is Jinny? Rather off a feed missing you, I expect. I left her with your man. He should be arriving soon, I should think. I don't fancy he'll waste much time. Neither do I. Poor fellow. He must have worried terribly over this worthless master. Sure, his face was as white as your own when I told him you were wounded. Carstairs turned his head quickly. What's this about my face? Just be so kind as to hand me that mere, Miles. O'Hara laughed and obeyed, watching my lord's close scrutiny of his countenance with some surprise. "'Interesting pallor, my dear friend. Interesting pallor. Nevertheless, I am glad that Jim is on his way.' He meant O'Hara's eyes as he looked up, and his lips quivered irrepressibly. "'You think me vain, Miles?' "'It is a pose of yours, John. Is it Sir Anthony Ferndale Bart?' "'No, I believe it is myself. You see, when one is but oneself to live for and think of, one makes the most of oneself, hence my vanity.' Take the mirror away, please. The sight of my countenance offends me. Sure, ye are free with your orders, me lord, said O'Hara, putting the glass down on the table. And while I think of it, what might your name be now? 
"'John Carr. A slip of the tongue on my part. Stopped in time. I hear my mentor returning. And Miles. Well? Come again. Come again, my dear boy. You'll be sick of the sight of me soon. I'll be here every day. Thanks. It will take a good deal to sicken me, I think.' He bit his lip, turning his head away as Miss Betty came into the room. "'I'm afraid you ought to leave my patient now, Sir Miles,' she said. "'He has had enough excitement for one day, and should sleep.' She glanced at the averted head inquiringly. "'I doubt he is tired.' Jack turned and smiled at her. "'No, Miss Betty, I'm not. But I know you will refuse to believe me. "'My dear boy, do you know you have black lines beneath your eyes?' "'More remarks about my face,' he sighed and glanced at O'Hara, who had risen. "'Ye are quite right, Miss Billet. I must go. May I come again to-morrow?' "'Surely,' she beamed. "'We shall be delighted to welcome you.' O'Hara bent over the bed. "'Then au revoir, Jack. My lady sent her love to her cousin Harry, the saucy puss.' "'Did she? How prodigious kind of her, Miles. And you'll give her mind, and kiss her. Yes.' said O'Hara, with dangerous calm. "'I'll kiss her what?' "'Her hand for me,' ended Costas, bubbling over. <laughs> "'Good-bye, and thank you.' "'That will suffice,' said Miles, cutting him short. He bowed to Miss Betty, and left the room. The business-like little lady fluttered over to the bedside, and rearranged the pillows. "'Well, and are you satisfied?' "'Most extraordinarily so. I thank you.' I shall be getting up soon. Hmm. Was all she vouchsafed, and left him to his meditations. As she had foreseen, he dozed a little, but his shoulder would not allow him to sleep. He lay in a semi-comatose condition, his eyes shut, and a deep furrowed telling of pain between his brows. The sound of a shutting door made him open his eyes. He turned his head slightly, and saw that Jim Salter was standing in the middle of the room, looking at him anxiously. My lord returned his gaze crossly, and Jim waited for the storm to break. Carstairs' heart melted, and he managed to smile. "'I'm monstrous glad to see you, Jim,' he said. "'You—you you can't mean that, sir. "'Twas I left your pistols unloaded.' "'I know. Damned careless of you. "'But it's the sort of thing I should do myself, after all.' Jim advanced to the bedside. "'Do you mean you forgive me, sir?' "'Why, of course.' I could not have fired on my best friend in any case. No, sir, but that don't make it any better. It doesn't, of course, and I was rather annoyed at the time. No oh, devil take you, Jim, don't look at me like that. I'm not dead yet. If—if if you had been killed, sir, t'would have been my fault. Rubbish. I'd a sword, hadn't I? For heaven's sake, don't worry about it any more. Have you brought all my luggage? Yes, sir. It shan't occur again, sir. Certainly not. Jenny is well? Splendid, sir. Will you still trust me with your pistol, sir? Garstairs groaned. Will you have done? T'was an accident, and I have forgotten it. Here's my hand on it. He grasped Jim as he spoke, and seemed to brush the whole subject aside. Have you disposed of that horrible coat you tried to make me wear the other day? I gave it to the landlord, sir. I should have burned it, but perhaps he liked it. He did, sir. Will you try to go to sleep now? 
If you had a shoulder on fire and aching as mine does, you wouldn't ask such a ridiculous question, answered Jack snappishly. I'm sorry, sir. Is there aught I can do? You can change the bandages, if you like. These are prodigious hot and uncomfortable. Without another word, Salter set about easing his master, and he was so painstaking and so careful not to hurt the ugly wound, and his face expressed so much concern, that Carstairs controlled a desire to swear when he happened to touch a particularly tender spot, and at the end rewarded him with a smile and a sigh of content. "'Ah, that is much better,' he said. "'You have such a light touch, Jim.' The man's face reddened with pleasure, but he said nothing, and walked away to the window to draw the curtains. End of chapter 12 Recorded by Tara Mendoza, Phoenix, Arizona August 2011